Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at Saudi Arabia. After the death of King Abdullah, King Salman is now on the throne. He takes over at a time when the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is facing unprecedented challenges in the shape of regional chaos, as well as a sharply falling oil price. So how stable is Saudi Arabia? Joining me in the studio to discuss this is our foreign editor, Rula Khalaf, and on the line from the Gulf is our correspondent there, Simeon Kerr. Rula, first, let me put that question to you. Obviously, everyone's been waiting for the death of King Abdullah and what it might mean. It looks on the surface like the succession's happened fairly smoothly, but presumably there are tensions beneath the surface. I think there was so much speculation and for many years about what the succession might mean, whether King Salman is well enough to take over, whether he will change the crown prince that King Abdullah wanted, and that's Prince Mukren, who was very close to King Abdullah, and what happens next. I think what we've seen over the past couple of weeks, and particularly on the night itself of the death of King Abdullah, is that the House of Saud had its business in order. I think that there must have been tensions as King Abdullah lay on his deathbed and a lot of discussion within the family. But you know, people tend to exaggerate often the infighting within the Saudi royal family. Obviously, there are rivalries and obviously there are tensions, but it's not at the level of crisis that I think a lot of people assumed. And I think a lot of people were surprised that the succession went as smoothly as it did. And yet King Salman is taking over at a time when there are huge challenges for the country. I mean, obviously, You've got Syria in civil war, you've got neighbouring Iraq in terrible trouble, and all this is happening at a time when the oil price is down to $50 and the Saudis have, as I understand it, kind of bought social peace through big spending programmes at home, which will now be more difficult to maintain. So they've got some questions, haven't they? Indeed. This is probably, for the past you know, 20, 30 years, this is probably the most difficult time for Saudi Arabia regionally. You only have to look at essentially the collapse of uh, Saudi-supported government in Yemen, just the, the same night as the death of the king. So on one side, you've got Yemen collapsing. On another side, you've got Iraq collapsing, Syria, even Lebanon that the Saudis care a lot about is pretty fragile. I think from the Saudi perspective, probably the only place where they've tried to restore what they would consider to be order is Egypt. Bahrain, they worked, I think, very hard early on, on, you know, by sending their own troops. So I think they probably consider that Bahrain is under more control. Yemen is really a Saudi backyard, and they would be very concerned about Yemen today. So on the one hand, you've got a regional situation that is more volatile and more threatening than ever. And on the other hand, domestically, although they have very high foreign exchange reserves, the oil price has gone down probably a lot more than they would like. 
and they have to think about how to maintain social peace and to what extent they can afford to continue to have a low oil price. So a lot of questions, a lot of tests ahead for King Salman, I'd say. So Simeon, I mean, you're in the Gulf there. How much do you feel that Saudi Arabia's position as kind of the bulwark of the whole region has been eroded by all these different challenges that we've just been discussing? At the moment, there's very much a sense that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's domestic policy, the oil price, Yemen collapsing. There is a real broad consensus here that there's a lot they have to get along with. They are the ones that will have to do something about, say, for example, Yemen. And at the same time, if there's going to be any way of guiding the oil price back up again, Saudi Arabia would be the one to be able to do that. On the oil price, publicly, they will say absolutely not. The market is going to find equilibrium. They have to work within those parameters. But over the last few months, as Abdullah, the late king, got increasingly ill, there's definitely been a sense of drift on the foreign policy agenda. So with the new king, I think we can expect slowly, because this is Saudi Arabia, but steadily for, for these various issues to be dealt with. But Simeon, give us a sense of what the policy debates might be within the Saudi elite. I mean, I know it's not a very kind of open or transparent system, but assuming they face choices, and that, you know, when a new king comes in, they may rethink these things, what would the debates be? Domestically, I think, first of all, they realise that there's an intense interest in Saudi Arabia and they can be quite insulated from the world generally. And they've seen with the Obama visit, with the focus on human rights here, they've really noticed that there's a lot more that they have to do regarding their perception. And for them to be able to deal with these issues, they have to start looking at that. But domestically, they've got a big problem in terms of the Al Saud and absolute monarchy. I have to ruled by consensus. And so they're trying to balance an increasingly young, social media connected youth population, many of whom are looking from a more liberal perspective in terms of women's rights. But at the same time, there's a big rump of very religiously austere conservative Islam going on at the same time. They're balancing these two powers within the country at the same time as, as we mentioned earlier, there is a threat from the Islamic State fighters in the north areas, Al-Qaeda in Yemen, and there is also sympathy for these movements domestically as well. So within that really volatile mix, they have to try and find some kind of course in between that. And I think that's what's going to be interesting to see as Salman establishes himself as a king, to what extent he'll be able to ease off on the social front, to what extent he'll be able to make very difficult economic choices in order to maintain that social peace. They've got massive reserves which they can dip into, but that could leave a terrible legacy for future generations. They could start to borrow from global markets, but they look back to the 1990s when they had debt at over 100% of GDP and the country was an economic basket case. So they have to try and reduce spending, but if you start to reduce wages or subsidies, then there could be social unrest. If you start to reduce capital expenditure on the big projects, once again develop won't be on the right track. They're trying to get more Saudis to go and work in the private sector, but that's a whole different ball game for Saudis to have to start not depending on, on nice, easy public sector jobs and, and work in the more productive private sector. So these are all really highly complex issues for them to deal with, and uh, I guess we'll just see over time which course Salman takes. So Rula, in foreign policy, is there a choice to be made? Because obviously Saudi foreign policy is, to a large extent, certainly as an outsider, seems to be defined by the antagonism with Iran. Is that any chance of that changing? 
I think that this is going to be one of the main issues that the new king has to deal with. Now, Salman is known as a very pragmatic person. What he has to balance is this historic paranoia about the place of Saudi Arabia in the region and the ability to have more than one regional power. Obviously, religion, the Sunni Shia issue comes into this as well. But I think a lot of what we'll see will depend on whether there is a nuclear agreement with Iran, because Saudi Arabia is going to have to live with this. One of the reasons that I think the US and other powers are making extra effort right now to befriend the new king to show that they care about Saudi Arabia is because they know that the Saudis are very skeptical about a nuclear agreement with Iran. And if an agreement is reached, the Saudi fear is that the US will develop that relationship, that that relationship will be at the expense of the sort of special relationship that they've had with the Americans. So I think this is a a critical time for them because of Iran's attempts to reach a, a nuclear agreement and a new president in Iran who is trying to open up to the West. I mean, the key thing that, that will unlock a lot of problems in this region is if we reach a stage where Iran and Saudi Arabia actually have a dialogue and are working together rather than against each other. Well, that would be a remarkable breakthrough, wouldn't it? But it was certainly very striking, as you allude, that President Obama kind of rushed to get to the funeral breaking off a trip to India in the process, even though India is kind of important to the Americans. So what do you think the American thinking about Saudi Arabia is? Is the relationship as warm as that speedy trip by Obama suggests? As you know, there have been strains in this relationship. The Saudis have felt for a long time now that the Americans have disengaged from the region. They were desperate for them to intervene in Syria early on and against Bashar al-Assad. That didn't happen. I think the attitude that the Americans took towards the Arab Spring as well was at odds with the Saudi attitude, which which was essentially, you know, we need a counter-revolution here. So I think they can move on now. And I think there's an attempt to reset the relationship today. And it's in that context that I see Obama's trip to Saudi. And I think particularly with the possibility of an Iran nuclear deal, the West wants to try to keep Saudi Arabia within the conversation rather than outside the conversation. And yet, Simeon, all this has taken place against the public relations disaster of the flogging of a liberal blogger in Saudi Arabia. It's got a lot of attention here in the West and just sort of underlined the feeling of the otherness of Saudi Arabia, that in some sense their values are aligned with the jihadists who hate the West. How have the Saudis handled or mishandled that particular episode? And how symptomatic is it of this very deep conservatism, reactionary conservatism that you alluded to? Yeah, well, yes, they really have never been very good at communicating what they're doing in the first place. And that certainly is continuing now. There is some hope that a new administration, new monarch, there might be a change in that regard. But yes, I mean, for them, the Sharia is a red line. And the accusations against the liberal blogger who had started discussion about religion on his website is one that they find very difficult to countenance. So they would say that we are a highly conservative Islamic country. And, you know, while we are putting Islamic extremists in jail, we also have to maintain social equilibrium by making sure that if someone's breaking our laws regarding religion, that they are also punished. That said, 
I think it's highly unlikely that we will see any more lashes for Mr. Badawi. Certainly, he received his first 50. There was a huge outcry after that. And since then, for medical reasons, twice, and I imagine this Friday as well, he will not receive any more lashes. I think they're realising that they are coming more and more into the public eye and they're going to have to start managing this process more. But the idea that they're suddenly going to become some liberal democracy, that's definitely not going to happen. They're going to continue to balance the various social forces within the country in order to try and maintain the stability which they provide to the West, they would say, and which the Al Saud would regard as the custodians here and say that they have broad backing for that. Nonetheless, it's going to be very interesting to see on what basis they'll try and ease social and political restrictions in the coming years. There is still demand and growing demand for that, so they're going to have to do something on it. But the way that they do that while balancing with the Conservative forces will be interesting to see. Okay, so Ruler Simeon's kind of brought us back to where we started, which is that the stability of this arrangement's highly conservative regime. Can I ask you about that, but more specifically about the threat that Saudi Arabia might one day be engulfed by the kind of fighting that you see in Iraq and Syria, and specifically by Islamic State or something like it? I think probably the Saudis who perceive the Islamic State to be a threat, you know, there's no polling in Saudi Arabia. So it's very difficult to know where public opinion is. But my impression is that there is a certain level of support for the Islamic State. You can see that through Twitter, for instance, through the comments, and through what if you read some of what the Saudi commentators write. So I think the main concern in Saudi Arabia will be how more momentum for the Islamic State could impact Saudi Arabia itself. I think there was probably a lot more concern a few months ago because Islamic State seemed to be on an accelerator. And I think now the momentum does seem to have stalled. And this is why the Saudis have found in many ways common cause with the Americans and the West on this. Because although you can argue that some of the religious teachings actually feed into the ideology of the Islamic State, On the other hand, from a leadership perspective, the Islamic State would be perceived as a real threat that must be countered. Okay, well, Rula Khalaf here in the studio in London. Thank you very much. And thanks also to Simeon Kerr on the line from the Gulf. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.